0: Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast.
1: And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts who share
0: their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in
1: the cloud. Now, on to today's show.
0: Welcome to today's episode of Selling the Cloud Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Petruzzi, and I'm here by my co-host, Ray Reich. And today, we are happy to have as our guest a longtime friend of mine, former business partner of mine, and all-around great guy, Ben Pastro, who's the CEO of Metric.
2: Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate you having me.
0: All right. So today, we'll be covering three main areas. The role of partnerships in just SaaS and cloud software growth. It's an area that uh, there's been lots of investment in. But from my perspective, it's also an area that many firms just don't get right. And they really don't understand the power of particularly the consulting partnership that's out there. Ben has very deep experience in that space. Second area is, you know, on the consulting side, How do you balance the partnerships? How do you balance that incredible software partner that drives a lot of business for you with general customer satisfaction, making the client happy? And then how do you manage the overall strategic partnerships? Really kind of a recommendation from the consulting side that, you know, and I can share a perspective on this as well, but Ben kind of sharing, you know, if he was a CRO of the partner company that he works with, what would he be doing with the partner to make sure he's driving more, more revenue? But before we dive into that, Ben, can you share just a brief background? What brought you today and our podcast that so we're happy to be joining with you on?
2: Now, that sounds good. So before I jump in on you know, my journey, let me uh, just say congratulations, Mark, on Selling the Cloud. It's, uh, it's a great book. I've learned a lot from it. I've used it with a couple of my clients and more recently have received some positive feedback about the Audible version of it. So I hope uh, you have continued success with it. As far as my journey goes, you know, I started my career in life sciences, mostly in the operations of a large pharma company, but in the mid nineties, I really wanted to be part of the innovation and frankly, the hyper growth that was the tech industry at the time. So I joined Oracle. And had a fantastic eight years at Oracle, having been in various roles from consulting to doing delivery work on projects to selling and building practices at Oracle. But the main thing that I would say I found in myself while I was at Oracle is the passion that I had for customers and being in a customer-facing role. Lots of things go into the sausage, if you will, of making software and delivering software. but It really comes down to how the customer feels about it and that customer experience. And I really learned that way back when in that experience of Oracle. After Oracle, I wanted to work in a smaller firm where I had the, you know, could have the opportunity to, you know, have a larger impact. Uh, So I joined a company as a partner in a company called Thought Digital, which was an Oracle consultancy based in New York. Mark and I, in fact, worked together at Thought Digital after having worked together at Oracle. And um, we took the company through um, substantial growth, moved into new regions, and ultimately the Thought Digital was acquired by Zenzar. And after spending a total of about eight years with Thought Digital and Zenzar, I joined a company called Apps Associates. And I was so fortunate to work with an incredible team at Apps Associates. And we took that company from a on-premise Oracle ERP consulting business based in New England to a company that was cloud, completely cloud-centric with core businesses across Oracle's cloud applications, AWS, and Salesforce, as well as some wrapper businesses around that. And we were working all across the United States and Europe. So very substantial growth, very good exit with a private equity firm. And that company continues to grow and bloom today. As far as a new metric, I am working with founders and leadership teams of technology-centric consulting firms. And I'm really helping them build better businesses and build more valuable businesses, leveraging the experience that I've had you know, over the past 20 years. My work, you know, gets into the operations of the company. It gets into helping them build the strategy and actually build the teams for around go-to-market teams, alliances. All the way through to, you know, how to maximize the EBITDA of a consulting organization. And my roles, you know, are either working as an advisor, being an investor in the business, or being on the board of uh, my clients. And I love the work I'm doing. It lets me uh, work with a lot of younger organizations, and uh, it's exciting.
1: And that's a a pretty broad background, and there's a lot to dig into there. So let me try to ask the first question, because you do have that long history of working inside enterprise software and cloud companies and also your existing clients or where you're on the board. Does the orientation of the value of a partnership change depending whether you're on the technology vendor side or the consultant slash systems integration side of the house?
2: So I don't think the orientation necessarily changes. You know, the, the roles clearly are different, right? What that SaaS company is doing versus what the service provider is doing is, is certainly different. But to me, the, the orientation and the objective really is shared. And it's really about driving, working together to drive the success of customers so that they are successful on that SaaS company's software and they are successful you know, using the value-added services of a service provider. And particularly in this world that we're in now of cloud and SaaS, that's never been more important to be aligned around that objective. Clearly, business is sold in a more incremental, business and software is sold in a more incremental fashion these days, which means that you really have to remain focused on the success of the customer. The days of, you know, selling a deal and, you know, the customer being in the rear view mirror, if you will, um, those days are long gone. And I think that's for the better, frankly, because I think enterprise software firms and I think service firms, they've had to put much more investment and much more focus in maintaining ongoing relationships and ensuring customer success. Thank you, Ben, for that. It kind of touches on how
0: this really works and how, frankly, how much fun you can have doing this as well. And, and we had a lot of fun through this process. And I'll tell you what, what happens is when you have a consulting partner, when you have a service partner who really understands how important it is to support the vendor, how important it is to, to drive velocity in the selling process, to your point, how important it is to have, you know, now in a SaaS model where these deals are incremental and these deals, uh, you know, to your point, looking in a rearview mirror, there are lots of sales reps that we dealt with uh, back in the early Oracle days. And they could not wait to get a signature on a paper to run in that car and, frankly, never make an outbound call again to that person because they knew that there wasn't going to be a new deal for the next 10, 12, 15 years. And, frankly, they didn't want to hear about all the problems and challenges. So I think the mindset that we had early on and then that we have today as well of going in there and being a selling partner for the consulting, uh, for the uh, SaaS company is is important. And again, you know, for a service provider, the client, the end client writes the checks. So there, there shouldn't be anything above and beyond that commitment to the client. However, there are ways to do really good work as a partner for companies like Oracle, Workday, whomever you may be a partner of, and still do incredibly right by the client as well. Can you bring us into more of, you know, how does that work? How, how do you do that? And, and really, you know, some examples of how how it really can help deals close faster, deals be more significant than when they started. Uh, because of good work from the service provider. And, and as importantly, good time invested by the sales team in that consulting partner relationship, because it all starts with a relationship.
2: No, it's a great point. And, you know, let's unpack that a little bit. There's several aspects to that. I think as, a, as someone that has spent a lot of time with in the services space, building those organizations and building those partnerships, you know, first of all, Clearly, having a clear set of mutually shared objectives is important. You know, Every partner presentation talks right. about mutual success, but it's much more important to be talking about what that success means to both the software vendor, as well as what success means to the consulting firm. Because sometimes they're different um, in terms of what drives valuation for the business and what drives success for the individuals that are in that partnership. The next piece is, you know, around, you know, a service provider. In my mind, a service provider who is trying to be a, a good partner to the workdays of the world or the, you know, AWSs of the world, whoever it may be, they really need to view themselves and as an extension of the sales organization of that software provider, you know, or technology vendor, because I think that's what the technology vendor needs, right? It needs a partner that can come in as a trusted advisor to the client and help facilitate a successful sale of the technology. And what I mean by that is having teams in place that can be part of building a sales, building a strategy for closing a deal with their partner on the software side, and then be able to You know, work within the guardrails, if you will, of that strategy. There's always, uh, you always hit this point of, you know, balancing the needs of the software vendor versus the needs of the consulting firm. But in my experience, the best deals and the best wins include tend to err on the side of more transparency and honesty with the buyer than not. And uh, I've always tried to instill that in the teams that I've built. And I've always tried to instill that in the partner teams that I've worked with and at the uh, software side. I think the more we can be transparent, the more we can make the customer comfortable, uh, make the prospect comfortable. And the more, even if it's incremental successes, just to build on that comfort, I think the better we are. Um, I've always taken a very long-term view to relationships with customers.
1: Ben, yeah, let me double click on that one because you said it be the extension of the vendor salesperson, have a close partnership. But in today's subscription revenue model and land and expand customer process, you have a new function that's customer success. So you have the vendor salesperson you need to partner with, then you partner with the customer for the deployment. But then you have upsells, cross-sells, and customer satisfaction, which is customer success. So do you have any advice or best practices on when and how to build relationships, not just with sales, but with the vendor's customer success team?
2: Yeah, so, you know, as customer success has become so much more of a priority for both software companies and service providers, the need to have alignment with the customer success managers for different accounts uh, is very important. And in, in many ways, I view that in much the same way that I view an initial deal, right? It's building a strategy for how we're going to go win this deal together, be it large or small. And then it's working hand in glove with the customer success individual who, or individuals who are responsible for that particular account to develop a plan for how we're going to continue winning more business in this account or in this industry you know, however we're aligned and, you know, it's funny, but, it, you know, coming from the services side, I think we've always done this in service companies because, you know, in some of the larger organizations that I've worked with, for example, the company that acquired thought digital Zenzar, had a very large portfolio of services, right? So we did a lot of work and account planning around how to sell as many of those lines of service as we could into X, Y, Z company. Well, you know, as a, as a SAS provider, You're trying to do the same thing. Right. And working with the sales organization, working with the customer success team, et cetera, is very key to achieving, you know, the initial sale and the ongoing, the ongoing sales in the account.
0: Yeah. You know what, Ben, that's really good. Kind of insight, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take us a little further here. It's time to really open up the kimono. The the opportunity here for sales reps and CROs and SaaS companies is to really figure out the leveraging of this relationship that we're describing. And I'll tell you the way the way this has worked most productively in my experiences is around again, when you have a trusted relationship with a sales rep on an account and a sales team that's managing that sales rep, you're able to go into that account, you know, and coordinate and share information back and forth in a way that that so helps that sales team have a higher chance of closing a deal, having the, the ability to move these deals faster. And most important, absolutely most important, have the greatest chance of of being successful on the initial scope of work, you know, and, and the initial use of that software. So the land part of this, there's no expansion without an appropriate landing at the beginning. So the way we've done this, and you know, it's got it's it's not easy, and it's especially not easy keeping the first and foremost premise in place, and that is. You're being paid by a client. So at the end of the day, you can't share information that would be inappropriate or that you're under an NDA for with that client. But especially in the the prospect stage, you know, you can really keep the client's interest at the top and still share information back and forth. So every meeting we would have, Ben, you and I, back in the day, where we would walk away from a client that... You know, a team like Oracle would be selling at the time, we would walk out of that meeting and say, okay, what's in the best interest of our client? How can we help Oracle out here? Because at that point, if we're supporting them with an Oracle deal, we frankly don't want to see it go to SAP or go to some other company. And how do you do that most efficiently and also most appropriately, you know, first and foremost? And that, that starts with trusted relationships. It starts with just being very, very open with information. And it starts with knowing what you can share, what, what you can't share. Can you take us a little deeper into, you know, how that works? Maybe an example or two of, you know, when that really has worked for the vendor on the other side, and most importantly, at the end of the day, worked for your client
2: as well. Well, it's a great question. If you are the service provider, the ideal scenario is where you are viewed as neutral and you're viewed as a trusted advisor. And frankly, I don't think you can be a trusted advisor without being neutral. You know, they go together. You know, the best situations I've seen, and there's one I'm thinking about right now, what main names, where, and it's happened multiple times, but where, you know, I've told the client or the prospect that You know, I am going to share some information, not particularly sensitive data, but I'm I'm going to share some information with the software vendor or vendors that they were speaking with, because ultimately it would make their experience with those vendors easier, right? Let's face it, you know, selling is an art. Sometimes we want to be very open and transparent about some things, and sometimes we don't, right? But, you know, very often the best position to be in as a service provider is, The one where the customer has the perspective that they are trying to enable a good deal for me with this software, you know, and no one is trying to railroad me into something. They're trying to make me see the red flags. And they're also coming up with mitigation strategies for those red flags. You know, being able, that takes a tremendous amount of trust with the customer, but it also takes an equal amount of trust with the software vendor. Um, and it takes time to build that. That rarely happens in the first deal with that salesperson at XYZ software company, right? But when you build, you know, a track record and really earn that trust over time, they learn to trust you, and they learn that you're going to be honest with them, even if it's letting them know that they're losing a deal or they're just not. And I've been in the situation of having to, you know, sit between two conflicting vendors. And explain to both of them, you know, what pieces of their software were going to be purchased and what not. And same for the other vendor, where the customer was going down the strategy of, you know, technologies from two different vendors. It's a great position to be in. And it's where I would try to align or build any service company. But like I said, it does take time to have that type of relationship and that type of trust in the customers.
1: We've talked a lot about how do you manage the relationship, how do you set expectations, make sure you understand what the benefit is to both parties. One of the dynamics of today's SaaS and cloud industry is the sheer number of participants. It's not like we have 100 or 200 vendors. We have 40,000 SaaS vendors, and some of them have 5K products, some of them have 100K products. Some are $1 million, a lot more $1 to $5 million AR companies under our $50 million to $100 million. And one of the biggest discussions I hear at the executive table is, does it make sense for us to partner with a services company? Does that hinder or hurt our customer acquisition velocity? Ben, do you have any advice on when a B2B SaaS or cloud company should seriously consider and start engaging with service partnerships?
2: Yeah, I do, and worked on this quite a bit in uh, some of the partnerships that I was personally involved with. Younger organizations, younger technology providers or software providers. You know, first of all, I think the the work, the planning, and the strategy around partnerships starts on day one, right? As you're building that that software company, you should have a lens into what you think your partner landscape will look like. Now, you're obviously investing at different times, and you're focused on different areas at different times, but my view is that the best partners are the ones that enable growth for the software provider. And therefore, as a software provider, okay, I want to find partners as early as possible that will enable my growth and become not just an extension of my sales team, but an extension of my customer success function, an extension of my product development function, and on and on, right? They will be my eyes and ears and accounts in an industry, et cetera. And therefore, I think that's why I said, you know, I think you need to start very early on. Clearly, product maturity plays a role in that. Very often, the first few implementations are done by a software company's development team altogether. You know, you'll always have some of that. But, you know, if your mindset is that the partner community should help me grow my business and here are the ways that they are going to do it then I would say earlier is better in building that. The other dynamic that you'll often see is that, you know, if you're a young software company, you're going to tend to align with smaller service providers. And I saw this on the journey that I had with AWS. That started when I was at Apps Associates and we built a business migrating and managing Oracle workloads on AWS, which in 2011, 2012 was fairly unique, right? And uh, and it was a great business. We did it. Because we saw that it could add not just significant revenue to our business, but significant valuation for our business. So we were all over it. And at a time when there wasn't, you know, tens of thousands of AWS partners and probably the visual that I would explain it with is that in the early reInvent days, 2012, 13, et cetera, you'd look around the exhibition hall and you really didn't recognize many of the names out there. And they all had these kind of you know cool new age names because they were relatively young companies that were getting in with a technology vendor in its earlier stage okay and then as time went on you naturally saw the the deloitte's the accentures the cap gemini's the Cognizants, etc you know the more familiar names coming in into the picture and the point there is that as you're building a software company and as you're building partnerships I think you need to have an equal prioritization around the size of the partner. And there are roles for large partners, there are roles for small partners, the industry focus that that partner can help take you into, as well as the ability for that partner to build solutions that can augment your own product and ultimately make your product stickier in the account.
0: Thank you, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I would add one additional thought with that, and that is, I would recommend always move earlier and quicker because it's the model that has occurred in in this industry. And either, you know, hey, it's always great if you can figure out a better model. That's wonderful, but until you do, it's important to to sink in with the established model. And you know, Klaus Bessier, you know, another friend of mine, who you know started this whole partner service provider partnering model with SAP America as the initial CEO of that entity. It built the model and built the approach, kind of put it in all of our DNA to do it all the time. So you're going to get there one way or another. You're going to need that. Capability, you're going to need that momentum in the market. So, the sooner you move into it, and to your point, you know, there are lots of really exciting small boutiques that are looking for you as much as you're looking for them. Uh, And then there will be a time as you grow for, you know, working with some of the larger players as well. So, Ben, this is great. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Ray, if you have any additional points to kind of close up on, or I know you do a, a great close for us every, uh, every episode, so I will hand it over to you. Well,
1: Brendan, thank you so much for your time and your insights. And one of the things I always like to do for our listening audience is if they have any additional questions they'd like to ask you, what's the best contact information, Ben?
2: Uh, the best contact for me is my email, which is ben.pastro at a new metric. A-N-U-M-E-T-R-I-C.com.
1: Great. Thank you so much. And to our listening audience, it means the world to Mark and I that you invest 30 minutes of your time to listening to the Selling to Cloud podcast. And we would love for you to follow our podcast on your favorite podcasting app, provide us any comments and ratings, anything we can do to be informed and make the show even better for you, our listening audience. Mark, Ben, thank you so much for being our guest and co-host today.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Bye now. Cheers.